0: Hey Jets fans, want $50 off your next round of drinks? Try TAPRM. They deliver the drinks right to your door so you can skip the lines and trips to the liquor store. Discover new and exclusive drinks or shop for your favorites. Don't worry, they've got all the options for you. Order your first round at TAPRM.com and get $50 off your first order using promo code JETS50. $50 off $100 a beer, not a bad deal. I would highly recommend it. I've done it. Connor's done it. Joe's gotten it. So Make sure you go to taprm.com, use promo code JETS50, skip the lines, and get $50 off your first $100 worth of beer. $100 in beer for $50, can't beat that. Now let's get into the pod. Right. Setting up, looking downfield. He's going to heave a bomb for Corey Davis at the goal line. Into the end zone. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. It's deflected and picked up He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. The New York Jets select... Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson at WillPile11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a special guest today, Joe Rivera. Joe Rivera SN on Twitter. Joe, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm doing wonderful, friend. How are you?
0: I'm well, good. You know, wonderful I mean, yeah.
1: stretch, but. Yeah, yeah I was to <laughs> say,
0: I'm better today than I was yesterday. Uh, leaving MetLife mm-hmm. was not a, not a pretty scene. I um, met life that was probably 75% Bills fans um, and the most packed I've seen MetLife since week two. So that was not a lot of fun. Um, I feel like we're having a conversation I didn't expect to be having this late in the season. Um, with the Jets, obviously, I didn't think they were beating Buffalo and I projected 30 to 13. So it's not like I wasn't that far off I guess it's just the manner in which they've been blown out in the games they haven't won um obviously the big wins over Tennessee and Cincinnati are great but they are two and seven have gotten blown out four or five times now so what is your impression has been of, of yesterday overall and um you know where the Jets are at uh nine weeks into the Robert Saleh era
1: yeah well I think so much of there's there's so much that goes into a conversation about the Jets this year like there's so much nuance there's so much context you have to put into it. It's just not a matter of these guys are underperforming. It's not a matter of, oh, well, this is just a rookie coach. It's a matter of they do have injuries and you know that they, the Carl Lawson injury killed them. The LaMarcus Joyner injury, I think is, is uh, that was another injury that really hurt them on the defensive side of the ball. Jamie Sherwood was, uh, he was starting to flash a little bit before he got hurt. So there's, there's a ton that goes into it. Um, Obviously, when you talk about that and you discuss that you also have to talk take into account the turnovers with mike white yesterday and four bad turnovers that leads to you getting blown out too so i think this year i had them projected at five wins and i thought the defense was going to be horrendous this year to be honest with you i, I didn't think that they had a whole lot of talent surprisingly i thought this the cornerbacks have been playing better but when you look at the solid defense and the system that they're trying to run and so much of that relies on number one, getting pressure up front, which they haven't really done consistently. Number two, they're really relying on the linebackers to be speedy and really fly to the ball, which they haven't really gotten either. So, I I mean, overall, this is kind of the season that I was expecting to be honest with you. I think that you look at the the blowouts and some of its quarterback play, a lot of it is obviously bad defense, but I kind of expected that has it been Worse, a little bit worse than I expected, I think so, but uh, this is a team, it's growing pains, it's lots of rookie players, lots of rookie defenders, uh, rookie head coach, rookie play callers, all top to bottom, so it sucks, it sucks, but this is just part of what, this is just part of the process.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, I, I think part of the issue is that we, like you, going into the season, everyone's expecting five, six, you know, optimistic fans, seven, eight wins maybe. And they're still on pace to like probably get to five or six wins. Realistically, they've got a really soft part of the schedule here coming up. But it's just the manner in which they've been blown out. And like the Adam Gase uh, type of even actually, frankly, worse than a lot of the Adam Gase stuff. They, they've scored points. They're not as anemic on offense. And I think, you know, yesterday obviously stunk the Bills are the best defense in football. Um, to think that Mike White was going to throw up 300 yards and three touchdowns would have been. Then I would have actually had a quarterback controversy because now you're like, all right, this dude's, you know, doing it week after week. There, there's real stuff here. But um, who are who are some guys? I guess that obviously again, two and seven, not playing well um, for the most part. Who are some guys you've been maybe disappointed with, uh, you know, so far this year that you thought would maybe take a bigger step? Corey Davis stands out for me. I I'm I've been pretty disappointed. I didn't think he was a one A, um, but mm-hmm. the drops, the fumbles, it, it's it's a little it's a little concerning um, for the price tag he's getting paid.
1: Yeah, I think Davis, is, Davis has got to be up there, uh, especially the drops early in the season. And it wasn't really a matter of, well, you know, it's a first down pass. He had lots of killer drops in the season uh, early on. And obviously the fumble yesterday on Sunday was brutal too. So Davis stands out to me. Um, you know, outside of that, uh, I think Quinnen Williams has been a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, obviously he's got the five and a half sacks, but not a lot of that dominant dominance that we saw last year. Um, and you know that the talent is there. You've seen it in the past, especially last year when he really got going middle, middle towards the end of the season. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to say because so many of these guys, Denzel Mims is another one. Um, obviously, everybody was clamoring for Dan's, Denzel Mims, but I think the one thing fans have to keep in mind is they see this guy in practice every day and, and they saw him in training camp every day. And they know what they had. And, and it's a matter of getting the best players in the best positions. You can't just throw these snaps at players expecting them to improve when they're not showcasing that in practice and in training camp. So I think those are the three guys to me uh, who, who've really kind of, you're kind of relying on them to be big parts of the offense and for Quinton, obviously on defense, but it just hasn't been there. It, it just hasn't been there this year so far.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Quinnen's production level in terms of actual stats looks great on paper, but I, I don't feel like I felt his presence in more than like two or three games. And it's not to say he's played badly, but he hasn't taken that year three jump, I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought he would take in this defense and obviously Carl not. Carl Lawson being hurt. Bryce Huff's been hurt a bunch. And I understand they're under man there, but um, they still should be a talented unit. I know Jake Asman, a friend of a friend of both of ours, mentioned today. He's like, this D line is one of the most overrated position groups in the entire NFL. Um, and <laughs> while it's felt like a kind of a hot take, you kind of look at it and you go, I'm not sure it's the craziest take in the world based on kind of what's occurred. They just have not gotten pressure. Like the Bills offensive line is not very good. Um, that's one of their Achilles heels. And I felt like yesterday, while they had a little guy a little bit of pressure, they just they're not getting home enough. And for the amount of aggressiveness this team is supposed to have, um, you got to get to the quarterback of this defense, going to get exposed a little bit. Um, Jared Davis, another guy that comes to mind, is just, I'm not saying I was expecting him to be some superstar, but I know he's a good off the field guy and he's had some good quotes, but it's been ugly. Um, the three or four games he's played, frankly, they looked better with backups in there, um, you know, an off ball linebacker in this position in need. So um, mm-hmm. I know you've been kind of outspoken on the Mike White thing of being, trying to be realistic about it. And I think, okay. It's hard not to have fun and enjoy what's happened with Mike White. I I think it's okay to have rude for him while he was playing and understand Zach's the guy going forward, and there was never a question. Um, where do you stand on Mike White for, You know, through those three games, and um, what are your expectations of Zach going forward here with uh, this you know, eight or nine games left to play?
1: Yeah, I think for me the whole Mike White saga is going to be really interesting to look back on because it's not like I want to throw the guy in the dumpster. I don't. I think that what he's proven to you and what he's shown, and this should be a positive for Jets fans, is that he can be a viable backup quarterback. Um, He's a guy that's going to get you in a pinch. He's going to give you competent snaps. We saw yesterday, or you saw in the Bills game, that White was, you know, when you're asking him to do a little bit more, it won't go as well. And he was a little bit more inaccurate, especially on the short throws. He was missing guys high and outside. Um, but in a pinch, if you need him, if, you know, God forbid uh, quarterback one goes down, he's a guy who can be that backup for you. Listen, I have no problem with fans having fun with it. Like it was a fun story, you know, but it gets to a point where I think this season more than years is You hear people being like legitimately, like extremely impatient with what they're seeing this year, which I think is very unfair. Uh, and I understand like you're, we're like 10 years now removed from last going to the playoffs. And then this whole thing of Well, I'm tired of rebuilding and this and that. That's why I said this conversation really requires nuance. But I never really looked at Mike White as being like a viable guy moving forward. Now, with Zach, all you need to see from him is just play like Mike White played in the Bengals games to that. Uh, Just take what the defense gives you. And you're seeing a lot that these guys are getting open underneath. And Zach, I feel I think feels pressure to play hero ball a lot of the time. Uh, and really look for the big play first before you know maybe the smart play. So hopefully, sitting out these few games, will he'll come back and he'll really you know settle down and just take the easy throws. When you look at some of his pass breakdowns too, um, he's really struggling most to his right, throwing short. His left throwing short not as much, and it makes sense mechanically. Uh, maybe he opens up a little bit more throwing to his right side. So uh, I, I'm not too concerned with the short accuracy because. For me personally, I'd rather have a quarterback who's accurate deep because you could at least fix the short stuff. Uh, And we saw we've seen that with Josh Allen over the last you know three years, which is why Salah kind of brought up that that comparison. But I just want to see Zach just take the easy stuff. I want to see him just settle down, just play within the system like they asked him to do. Play boring football. I think that's fine. And if defense comes around, you know you hope they play better than what they've shown the rest of the season. But if they do come around and Zach can keep you in games, that's I think that's all you can ask for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I did a little bit of a breakdown on that as well on Twitter, just the way he, to the right side, he just his mechanics have been awful, <laughs> frankly, and mm-hmm. it's like he lost all of that, and then the left side, he's it's the same exact throw to the other side of the field, and it's like uh-huh. pinpoint accuracy, so um, it'll be interesting to see when, you know, when he comes back, how he kind of mentally digested everything as well, felt like the game was a little too fast at times for him, and he was kind of scrambling, second-guessing himself, naturally, as rookie quarterbacks do, we've seen it with everybody, Trevor Lawrence, not lit the world on fire. Justin Fields has had moments, but also, frankly, is the worst QBR in football. And, you know, you mm-hmm. go on and on. And, you know, as good as Matt Jones has looked at, at points, Max turned the ball over a bunch for an offense that is meant to not turn the ball over. So um, all these guys have struggled a little bit. Trey Lance can't get on the field, um, which is a whole nother discussion for another podcast. But um, yesterday, there's, there was a lot of criticism of Sol. There's been a lot of criticism outwardly in, in the media. Um, frankly, guys who, and this is not at Rex. There's other people on on GetUp who I'm not gonna who I'm not gonna name that get very love to be outspoken when things go wrong, um, and not kind of and you know make some outlandish takes. Um, Rex obviously was very harsh. He's been harsh on Salah a bunch this year, and I, I'm not. I think it's I'm not really sure why. It doesn't really make sense to me. I feel like it's a weird kind of guy to go at he did say some really intense stuff and I don't, I'm not saying any of it was wrong or right, but what'd you make of, of Rex's comments and then saw it kind of firing back and being like, dude, I don't know you and you know where to find me. I'm not sure what your problem is.
1: Yeah, I think Rex, and you've seen this for a few years now, he's, he really comes off like the crazy ex-girlfriend. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Like I, I, I do, like he, Rex had, he was given a very long leash and let's not forget when Rex came in, and he took those teams over those, you know, Eric Mangini built teams and he took them to the next level and that's fine. It's fine to admit that he did that. But then you have the Quentin Copels of the world and the Calvin Pryors of the world who come in after that and, and the Sheldon Richardson of the, of the world and the D. Milliners who just don't work out. And not to say that Rex was the guy drafting those guys because obviously Tannenbaum and Idzik had had a lot to play in that, but um. I think that his legacy is a little bit overstated, to be honest, especially when it comes to the – like it's not a guy who he was here for eight years and each of the eight years they were in contention. It was just diminishing returns. So, um, you know, as far as Salah goes, I like the way he handled it. I mean, I, I hate when coaches just in general um, – and it's not just because I'm in the media and I like the fodder, but I hate when coaches kind of say, well, I, I didn't hear that. I didn't listen to it. I didn't pay attention to it. Sal is being very upfront, And the way Rex came off, it did come off very personal. For some reason, I don't know. I don't know why that is. Um, it's very strange, very strong. The way he said it, we know Rex has always been an outspoken guy, but uh, to kind of come at Salah for that and and to and to say that the team has no heart when you're not there in the locker room. That's 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 a tough pill for me to swallow. It really is. So um, hopefully the squashes it. I mean, who knows with Rex will go on get up tomorrow and they'll just churn out another story because that's what they do. But uh, hopefully it's the end of it for now.
0: Yeah, I thought so. I handled it well. Um, the Rex stuff is just weird because it's it's been like, it's not just once. It happened after half um, an afternoon after in the New England game. It happened it's happened a couple of times where it's, it's felt like, I don't know what the beef is. And, you know, obviously Rex is a prideful guy and I, I totally understand that. And they got compared to each other that, you know, so Rex even mentioned it. saw was like the less, less bravado kind of Rex and outspoken, but mm-hmm. um, to say he's not a good defensive coordinator. And I, I kind of went on a little bit of a rant earlier about this, that all of a sudden Sala was now a bad hire and he, he didn't know what he was doing. I mean, the guy was the most well, one of the top three or four most well-regarded defensive coordinators in football going into this off season. Um, you know, you can't go back and be like, oh, now he wasn't good. And um, that's the stuff that I, I can't stand. Makai um, Beckton in today. Another, another story, obviously he's, you know, not gonna be practicing for a few weeks still. Um, Salah said between one to three weeks, he'll get back in the field. Not leg is not as Sala phrased it, which is not the way he was spun, but um Makai will, you know, is not ready physically to be practicing in terms of strength in the knee and mobility and kind of just his overall shape. Um, It's not to say that Makai is fat or out of shape, which is what it was told. Obviously, he's 360 pounds and um, he's coming back from a pretty serious knee injury. Do you see do you think we see Makai played all the rest of the year? Because it's feeling like this is going to get to the point where it's week 14, 15, 16. And what's the point of getting him out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would like to see Makai back on the field just so he can get those reps for AVT uh, alongside beer Tuck- Tucker. I think that I really do think that matters a lot for an offensive line and you don't want to go into next season um, and really have to them have to work on their chemistry. So I would like to see him back on the field. And there was a certain tweet that was out there. I just want to say there was a certain tweet that was out there. I won't name from who, but it certainly did sound like he was trying to bait people and say Makai's fat, you know, um, which we saw a video of Makai on the field. Uh, Rich Samini had tweeted it, um, I think, on November 10th, and he looked like Makai. Like, he didn't look like he was, you know, scarfing down triple cheeseburgers from McDonald's or whatever. He just – Makai's a big dude. Like, that's – he's 6'7". He's an offensive lineman. Like, he's always going to be naturally big, and a guy who's that big is usually going to take a little bit longer in his rehab for that for that very reason. It's just – it's going to take time for him to get back on his feet. So I would like to see him. Oh, we are getting to the point where you have to ask yourself, is it, is it worth it? But I would like to, and to be fair, George fan has played very well in McKay's Stead, Stead, um, surprisingly well, to be honest with you, but uh, I, I would like to see him. I definitely would like to see him back on the field this season, even if it's for a three game stretch.
0: Yeah, no, I think the, the reps and the run game has, has definitely suffered from not having Mikai out there. I think, while fans done well in pass pro, he's his you know he's not a great run blocker. He never has been. I don't think the Jets would expect him to be, um, which is why it's definitely definitely concerning. The play from center and right guard, you know, regardless of what the PFF stats say, it's it's been ugly um, on that right side. Other than Morgan Moses, and I would I love to see Morgan Moses back here 100. Um, percent But you know we'll see we'll see in that. Two other positives from yesterday that continue to be positives: Michael Carter and Elijah Moore. Um, you know, a bunch of this draft class, frankly, outside of obviously Zach's an unknown, but AVT has looked really good a um, majority of the year. Michael Carter has been really good, effective in the passing and the running game. Elijah Moore, obviously, I think he's got four touchdowns in the last four games. Um, who, How impressive have you been with those two? And and where would you like to see them kind of improve over the last eight games, uh, you know, here before going into year two?
1: No, I think uh, it's, it's their rookies, right? I mean, that's number one. Uh, and again, Conversations with the group with the Jets require nuance. Michael Carter is going to look like a guy who's a rookie. Uh, Michael Carter, the second. Michael Carter, the the first, I guess, the running back is going to he's a guy who's certainly shown more and more as the season has gone on. And you love to see that, Um, you know, for for me and and Elijah Moore, even in a blowout, there's things that you can always you can always analyze in the blowout and you can always break down the blowout, like regardless of the score. Mm Uh, the fact that either, uh, well, more was getting open the first part of the season, but I like to see the growth from Michael floor and actually getting him the ball more, which is nice and more design touches for him. Cause he can really be that guy and coming out of college, his tape look a lot like Antonio Brown. Um, it just, his route running is precise. It's crisp. It's there. Um, and is what he does with the ball in his hands after the catch is really something special too. So um, you know, for it's it's tough to say where they can improve, because I think especially with with wide receiver, it's so quarterback dependent, right? It's probably the most symbiotic relationship on the field. Um, so it, it's tough to see where he can improve. I think, uh, you know, Michael Carter, the running back. Um, he's I, I don't I don't want to say he's a finished product, but he certainly looks that way right now. Uh this guy, like the 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 doctor tried to try to you know at birth that he slipped through the doctor's hands because he's that first contact like it's just it's just natural to him it's crazy so um, and and Michael Carter the the defensive back Michael Carter the second he's been everything that you could really ask for out of a mid round pick especially for a slot guy so um, obviously they're going to look like rookies the rest of the way too uh, I think Michael Carter the second's hit a wall a little bit the last couple of weeks we'll see how he rebounds the rest of the way but uh, on a broader scale on a grander scale you should feel really Jets fans should be very encouraged with this draft class and with Joe Douglas and what he did. So um, I know that he's kind of been drawn the ire of a lot of fans, but this is, this is the foundational class right now. It really is. So we'll see how, how else uh, he can build the team this off season.
0: Yeah. Cause the 2020 draft class uh, is struggling to say the least. Um, I'm not quite as down on Ashton Davis overall um, as everybody else is. I just think, you have to have patience. Safety is an incredibly difficult position. Um, he's playing with guys who I don't think he intended, you know, the Jets hadn't foreseen him playing next to Marcus May. Um, oh. Injuries, his eyes have been kind of all over the place. He makes impact plays and then gets burned. So, um, you know, we'll see kind of how this, how this all plays out. This week coming up, Miami – Tua is going to be starting for the Dolphins back and, you know, this back and forth of <laughs> the Bursette and uh, and Tua train, which is, is always interesting. This on paper is a winnable game for the Jets. Um, even going into the year, this was a game that the Jets probably had to win to get to that, you know, six-win mark. Do you think they're able to get it done and we'll see, re, you know, revamp kind of, um, you know, hunger and desire from this team? Or is it going to be – could it be another week of Jets fans leaving that life uh, not too happy?
1: I, I had this as one of the five games that I had them winning this year. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did at least. But, you know, for me, is for however good he's been, I mean, two has been pretty good this year. I know injuries aside, he hasn't been awful. He is going to give you opportunities, though. <laughs> like, he's going to make the boneheaded throw. Uh, he's going to make a, a pass where you like, trying to figure out where he was trying to fit a ball, and then, you know, it just wasn't there, whatever you're trying to see. So, Uh, Miami's defense has played better as of late, um, which is encouraging for them. Uh, I I do think that the Jets, there's just something about this team where, you know, they, they get smacked, they get punched in the mouth, and then they come out and then they, you know, they get punched in the mouth again. And we've seen it seven times this year, but I still think they have wins in this roster. I think there are wins in this team, and I do think that they can beat Miami, especially at home, so uh, Miami just doesn't scare me offensively. I know Kosicki's been good. Like we mentioned, too, has been pretty good, but they just, as a team as a whole, they don't, they, they don't scare me this year. They've really underachieved. I understand that some of it is maybe they overachieved last year. So expectations were different, but I think you can, they can be had. I really do. Um, I really, I really think that this is a game that they should, the Jets should bounce back from at least play competitive in, but I do think that they can get a win this weekend.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the Dolphins' offensive line is one of the worst offensive lines I've frankly ever seen. Um, it's <laughs> it's, re- it's really bad, and if they are in the Jets' D-line, this, you know, healthier, you know, healthy or not, you know, guys like Quinton Williams, as we mentioned, John Franklin Myers, to get out of that rut a little bit, they need to make plays uh, on Sunday to give the Jets a chance, like you said, two a gift you a few. Um, the Dolphins play a ton of man coverage. It's going to be a big test for these receivers. Like, can you get open? Um, you know, Zach Wilson, if he's playing, which – I would be really surprised if Zach doesn't play. I think the jets are kind of being taking that coy cautious approach, uh, to say, Oh, Wednesday we'll see, but this will be, you know, week four of of an injury and you're not rushing him back at this point, unless he really isn't clearly healthy. But if you practiced all week, last week, it would be very weird. And if Mike white, you know, after getting injured for the third straight time, (laughs) you know, three starts, um, want to transition quickly. We'll finish with this a little bit of baseball. Um, the offseason, Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez getting five years, $80 million from the Tigers today was one of the weirdest things I think I've ever I've ever seen. Not surprising. Um, I'm a huge Yankees fan, and obviously the Mets GM searches is kind of the two biggest things. Who do you see the Yankees kind of bringing in this offseason? It feels like it's going to be uh, one of those offseasons, like t- the end of 2008, where Brian Cashman kind of just says, fuck it, and it's like, we're signing everybody. <laughs> um, and then who do you think ends up as the Mets general manager? Because that's that's obviously a mess right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a good chance by the end of the podcast, you might get a get an offer for the Mets general manager position, well, to be honest with you, but um, from what I've read, it sounds like a former former Yankees assistant general manager, former Angels general manager, Billy Epler, has an offer on the table now, so we'll say, um, there's just something at the Mets, it's so strange, it's so strange, because here's an owner, a new owner. He's obviously gone through a lot of troubles this past year. We all know that first year as an owner, you don't want to make excuses for billionaires, but clearly a lot of things did not go well for the Mets this year, which is fine. But you would also think that general managers or or aspiring general managers throughout Major League Baseball would want to jump at the bit to to go to New York, uh, play with the owner's money. Uh, He's not afraid to spend money, really build a team in, in their image. And it hasn't happened. Obviously, everybody's turning it down. So Uh, it sounds like Epler might, might get the job. I mean, he's a guy that's, again, he's not afraid to spend money, but the farm, what he does with the farm and that might all all fall on his shoulders as a GM, but what he's done with the farm isn't overly impressive either. So it kind of comes from that, that cashman vein, and like prospects are out the door, like hug prospects until, you know, pump and dump kind of stuff. So very strange, very strange on the Yankees end. You know, it's, there are a lot of they have to totally reimagine this team this offseason. I don't think there's any debate surrounding that, whether that's getting a Matt Olson for first base. I think that he's if he's on the table and you can spend a few prospects to get him, I think that's a slam dunk, no no doubt about it, home run. If not, then you bring back Rizzo. Depends on the money, but Olson is younger. Um, he's only going to cost you prospects. He's not going to cost you money, and we know that they're very tight with their money now. I think that that's a very smart logical move for both sides to make. I also think that Corey Seager is a guy, uh, I know Correa has the defensive metrics over Seager, but I also think that Correa, especially with his, with his injuries in the past and the back, you know, when you have back problems that young in your career, it's never, never a good sign. And obviously he bounced back into a, a pretty big year this year, uh, but Seager is a guy that he, he's still average defensively. He's not terrible defensively. He's a lefty bat. And you know, if worse comes to worse, and you can move them over to third base, and then you can fill, figure out shortstop in a few years time. And they do have prospects who could potentially fill in at shortstop in a few years. So uh, it's going to be a busy offseason for the Yankees. I mean, they they have a lot a lot of work to do. They really do. The rotation needs help. Uh, you can't you can't go by with these lottery tickets anymore, trying to trying to scratch off these lottery tickets, hoping that someone in the rotation works out. Uh, but the the offense they got to figure out something else offensively because what's been what they've been trying to do since 2017. It just hasn't worked. It hasn't worked, and I think Cashman has to realize that.
0: I, I mean, I I could not agree more. The the guys I would like to not see back Brett Gardner. Uh, I've been <laughs> a anti Brett Gardner. And it's nothing personal about. He's been a great Yankee, but he's about four years past being good. Um, I would be frankly open to moving Gio Urshela. Um, I think his value will never be higher than it is now. He's always hurt. Um, he's very unathletic defensively, and while he makes great plays, it's a lot of times it's very it's that Derek Jeter method where like you were too slow to react so you end up making a great play because you're not athletic enough um uh-huh. defensively obviously to get there and it's not a slight of Derek Jeter it's just if you watch the plays like, that's literally why he was <laughs> so bad defensively and, and uh-huh. in war um I would love to bring Matt Olson in I think Rizzo is a guy that I'd bring back at a, a certain a number a three-year 36 million dollar deal something in that nature maybe he's going to cost more um, another guy that's had back problems and as good as Rizzo can be um I don't think he was as good as uh, he started off great and got COVID and it kind of went downhill a little bit from there. Um, It's going to be impossible to move Glaber. I don't know. You can't move off your best, your youngest asset. Um, Stand-in judge are obviously stuck. I don't know what you do. A catcher Verlander is a name that I've seen floated. Um, I'd be frankly interested in Verlander over much more over than a guy of a Kluber or um, a Tyone and people like that, where you're relying on Verlander's always been healthy minus this injury. So it's not like you're, although he's older, he's a guy that just kind of, just always 200 innings throws 96 97 pumps uh-huh. up when he needs to um and then lastly shortstop's just weird because Correa is like the anti-yankee like he's the biggest you know the guy that every Yankee fan hates the most probably I mean I hate him more than Altuve I don't the Altuve stuff is frustrating but Correa is obviously very outspoken but at the same time the Yankees can't be passing him good players because the fan base doesn't like them because they got you know you he beat. he's that Johnny Damon type player where like he kills you all the time and you have to kind of bring him in um I'd I'd prefer Seager I just think lefty bat I I think he's a more kind of guy you could game you know get around but the Yankees aren't in position to be giving 10-year contracts out they have to extend judge they're gonna have to extend a lot of these different guys and I don't know why they didn't extend judge last offseason his value wasn't quite as high and um you could have gotten away with you know potentially not running into this roadblock and I guess we'll finish we'll finish with one more baseball thing a rod's up for the hall of fame soon We got the david ortiz stuff we got a lot of the steroid guys some guys are going to be falling off the ballot soon if they do not get in um where do you stand on the steroid guys getting the hall of fame i personally think that they belong in if they're a good enough player you put them in and that's it The story of baseball is not written without guys like bonds clemens a rod those players where do you stand on that and how do you kind of fix some of the hall of fame stuff
1: no I, i'm with you i'm with you there well I, I really do you know and i flip flop with this a lot in recent years and I think honestly it's it's kind of a generational thing too because you see a lot of the older baseball writers saying well no way that this guy gets in I just absolutely refuse but then the younger baseball writers who you know will ha- either have votes now or they'll have them in a few years are kind of more understanding to the situation and say to themselves yeah you can't write the story of baseball without a guy like Barry Bonds you just can't <laughs> you can't a guy like A-Rod uh, you know like you can't write the story of baseball without A-Rod like you like him or not like he's part of this story and he was a great player when he played. So I know that that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But cheating has been around. Performance-enhancing drugs have been around for as long as the game has been around. There were rumors that Babe Ruth used to inject sheep testicles. So it's like, and I don't understand what that would do for you. But you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that's been happening around baseball for a long time. Now, is it going to get to a point where you say to yourself, "Well, yeah, just legalize steroids"? I don't think that's that's ever going to be on the table because and I know people have mentioned that in the past, whether it's joking, you know, memeing or or being serious about it, but it gets to a point where like, well, you can't legalize it and then force a guy to take something that he doesn't want to take period. Like you just can't do that. So no, I think the steroid guys do belong in the hall of fame. Um, You know, they, they just, they deserve it. They were part of the game for so long. They kept baseball afloat in the nineties, like without steroids, who knows where baseball would be. And it's just, and I think that players now are smarter about it or smarter in that they're not taking it. And, Um, they're not taking any kind of PEDs, and they're doing what they can and performance performance science is so much smarter now than it even was 10 years ago. So it's just a different game all around. So yeah, I I think the steroid guys do belong in. If I had a vote, uh, you know, whenever A-Rod's up, I would vote for him. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but I do believe those those guys uh, they belong in.
0: Who is uh, I'm not an Aaron Boone guy. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I I can't stand the the kind of the arrogance that comes with, you know, the Yankees have been cursed since he had that home run 2003, and there's nothing you can tell me that to change it. Um, <laughs> who gets more heat? Who's the coach under the most heat in New York right now? Um, or the first guy that's going to, you know, people are going to start claiming for his job. Judge, obviously, with the Giants, they've, they won last week, but has had a lot of issues this year. So is already under a lot of heat. It feels like Thibodeau and Nash are they're in a good position. They're both going to make the playoffs. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to get into the hockey stuff because I can't talk as, as expertly about that. But it feels like Boone, whoever the Mets hire. I mean, uh, whoever, like, you know, the Mets, whatever happens to the Mets in, in three months. Um, and, then, uh, and then Solid and Judge. Who's the first guy that gets under the most heat, uh, you know, by the end of the year?
1: I think, well, you can't get any hotter than Aaron Boone can right now, honestly. And I was, I personally was stunned that they gave him three years. Like, I didn't think... For a second, they would have gone beyond like two with an option or like one with an option. I didn't think that that was in the cards at all. So I think that the and this is like a this is existential philosophical thing, but so much of what I don't think Yankee fans, obviously they hate Boone, but I think what Boone, they hate what Boone represents more. I don't think they like this new era of manager, especially coming off a guy like Joe Girardi, who's like a field general, no nonsense, no BS kind of guy. And then you look at Aaron Boone, who's, you know, supposedly a puppet, you know, I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that there is true collaboration, but you know, if someone tells you two plus two equals four, you're not going to take that solution and say, well, actually, I think it equals six. So that's really how the analytics in baseball works. So yeah, it's, it's tough. I I don't see. I mean, judges, I think Joe judges just about out the door at this point there's really nothing short of them making the playoffs at this point he's just uninspiring there's just like nothing about him that really gets you going uh he preaches discipline and he's like one of these old school football guys who is is just like they they say you say it's like well all of this, I'm sorry, my wife's in the background distracting me, but um, he's one of these like old school football guys that get the bite, the blowhards all hot and bothered. So I don't really think that he has a lot of, a lot of staying power there. So I think Boone's like number one, if I had to guess, I'd say judge is one, A. but him and Gettleman are going to be a package deal. They're both. I, if I had to guess they both probably be out after the season.
0: Yeah. I'd be, I'd be shocked if we get any three of the return of Garrett uh, judge and Gettleman, I think the giants are in, they're the, what the jets were 12 months ago um but they're almost more in a they're in a worse spot because they have zero salary cap flexibility and mm-hmm. have that additional first round pick um chicago hasn't been quite bad enough that it's going to be a pick that you know it'll be a good pick but um you know the giants the jets and philly all are in a position right now where the top 15 in the draft is pretty much <laughs> like eight of the 15 yep. they're landing those three spots so eventually we'll get to the point where next time you come on hopefully uh you know, we don't have to talk about the draft and, and free agency and looking forward to uh, 2022. But um, obviously appreciate you know, coming on. Obviously follow Joe on Twitter, Joe Rivera, SN again. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, you know, hope for a nice W and rebound performance on, uh, on Sunday from the Jets.
1: You got it. Well, thank you so much for having me on, my friend. Really appreciate it.